Our reading is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Adam. Whoa. And uh, thank you to Ali and James for sharing something of our trip to Uganda. Uh, I noticed that James, the nice little video that I edited that had you dancing in it got um, omitted. I don't know how that happened. It was only 40 seconds. <laughs> Shorter. Uh, it's been, it's been a, it was an amazing trip. And if anybody wants to see the stole that the bishop gave me, um, it's at the back there. I meant to bring it forward, but I kind of forgot. Um, Today we're continuing our series in the uh, London Institute of Contemporary Christian uh, Institute of Contemporary Christianities course that we are following, and a lot of what I'm going to say is going to marry straight into the discussion groups that are going on later this week, and also into Chris's story that we have just heard. But first, let's pray. Father, we ask that as we reflect together, that you will speak to each of our hearts, encourage us, and build us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now, you will have heard that I got uh, made a canon. Thank you, Andy. He's going to bring it up and show you. This uh, stole was given to me by uh, Bishop Godfrey Luam. <laughs> and it's interesting, actually, because that, this whole thing feeds for me into some of the issues that we are uh, talking about uh, today. Now, I'm very aware Sorry to those who've heard this already at nine o'clock and good on you for coming uh, to a second service this morning. Very impressed. That as we look at this uh, passage from Matthew chapter four, this for Jesus is the beginning of his ministry. And for some of us, we may be at the beginning of our, our Christian lives, but others like me who uh, this uh, month have celebrated or last month celebrated our 60th birthday 
and uh, also discovered, to my shock, that I have a son who's about to get married. Um, that's really disturbing. Really makes you feel old. That actually, these words for Jesus at the beginning of his ministry are slightly different because I've lived as a Christian now probably for the best part of 60 years, one way or another. And so how does what Jesus uh, experienced right at the start of his calling feed into my experience now? What are the lessons for me is a big question. Now, we just heard uh, in that video uh, Chris being interviewed, and I don't know if you noticed how he reflected on the inner turmoil, the emotional turmoil that was evoked in him by being offered his dream job. You know, he said he'd spent 20 years trying to uh, get this amazing job, and now it's offered to him on a plate, including a promotion, a salary rise, and he finds himself saying no. And that decision evoked in him enormous emotional turmoil. And he went away into the wilderness and he described, if you notice, just to remind you of what he said, he recognized in him, in that emotional turmoil, those deep emotions draw out from him a recognition that he had a deep inner need for approval. That even though he was saying no, it was really hard to let go of the fact that all his uh, friends would have turned around and said, well, you must be mad. Why are you giving up on this amazing job that you've got? Haven't you wanted it all your life? And actually, you're a great person. You can do that job really well. And so he experienced a sense of loss and pain because of the way people might react. And he recognized that need for approval from those around him. Secondly, he identified a need for security. That new role would have brought him increased salary, uh, would have helped him uh, to feel uh, certain about what he was doing about the future. But instead, by following God, he was choosing a different and much more uncertain past, uh, path. And the fear and anxiety that that evoked in him led him to question what was his security built on? Where was he finding his safety? And thirdly, by embarking on that uncertain course in obedience to God, he was giving up control over his own career and life. Up until that point, he'd been in control of his career path. He had the steps, he knew where he was going. Suddenly, he's offered what he thinks he's always wanted, and God says to him, you need to walk in a different way. And that giving up of control was really difficult for him. And when it was taken away, those choices in the clear path, he found himself uncertain and disconcerted. And asking questions about how far was his happiness, his contentment related to his ability to control his world around him and what he was doing and to live his life, and how much of it was due to his faith and trust in God. And that was definitely something that we saw in Uganda. People, uh, Ali uh, kind of alluded to it, people who have next to nothing, who sometimes do not have the school fees, or one lady that we met who needs an operation uh, for a caesarean uh, that she's got to have as her baby is coming, and they don't have the money for it. What do we do? Where is our security in those situations? And each of, in each of those cases that he identified, the strength of his emotional responses to the decision that he was making revealed to him where the desires of his heart really lay. That only by recognizing and naming those emotions and the nature of his desires could he be set free from their hidden power. 
So let's just uh, look briefly at Jesus' temptations and his responses. The first of those was addressing his physical needs. Last week, uh, when James and I and Ali were on uh, in Uganda, we did an awful lot of very long journeys in a lot of heat. And when you're sitting in a van for about eight hours in the heat and in the dust, by the time you get to the end, you are dying for a cold, refreshing drink. And you just... There you go. That's interesting. That hasn't happened before. Uh, clearly, I was really emotional at that point, wasn't I? An underlying need there for that drink as I was living for it. And so we have this kind of emotional desire and, and, and can understand how Jesus must have felt at that point. He's been in the wilderness for all uh, that time. And uh, after 40 days, he was hungry. And there was no immediate way for him to satisfy his physical hunger. And notice how the devil tempts him with a shortcut. He says to him, something like this, you know, you're hungry. All you've got to do is just take this little stone and turn it into something from the Wild Yeast Bakery or Hearts Bakery. Beautiful bread. Satisfy your hunger. Won't take a moment. And the underlying temptation there for Jesus was to use the gifts that God had given him solely for his own comfort, to provide for his own needs rather than trusting God to provide for him in his own time. So how did Jesus counter this and the other temptations? Well, first of all, he was able to set them in a wider context. Yes, he was hungry, but he lifted his eyes beyond his immediate context and his immediate circumstances to recognize that there is something more important than simply getting what we want now. He recognized that what's most important for us is not what we have here on earth, but our relationship with God. And one of the big lies in our world is, is the belief or the kind of statement that we are what we have, that we are what we have. And yet so often in our society, that's what we live for. We live for the next thing that we can buy, the next thing that will bring us happiness, as if somehow having a new car or something this will actually make us the person that we want to be and make us happy. And Jesus knew that the key to life, to fullness of life, is hearing and living out the words that come from the mouth of God. And that realization gave him strength to resist temptation. And we were really struck in Uganda by the constant prayers of gratitude in the face of the struggles that we encountered. When people were faced with deep struggles and challenges, what they did was turn to God and thank him for his provision with great joy to turn to song and praise. Second temptation that Jesus faced was the temptation to prove who he was, to prove his identity conclusively by forcing God's angels to intervene. I just think for a moment, we're told, we know from the Bible that Jesus was subject to the same temptations that we're subject to. He knew all our human frailties. He was just like us. And so if you imagine this man, he's been in the wilderness for all this time, for 40 days without much food, without sustenance. He's the son of a carpenter, of very questionable birth, and he's grown up in a very bad neighborhood. 
For someone in that situation, the temptation to reach out for fame and glory was no doubt very powerful. He lived a humble life, and now the devil is offering him um, a new way of moving forward, to do something so amazing and public that he would be hero-worshipped. You can see the headlines. Here is the man rescued from certain death as God sends his angel to him. And so there is this temptation for approval. Another of the big lies of our world is that I am what other people say about me. And for most of us, social media affects our lives in different ways. Some of us perhaps don't use them, others do. But we all probably know people who use social media a lot and that addiction for getting likes and approval. If we haven't personally experienced it, we will know what it is when somebody looks at uh, or have heard someone do it. So for me, um, sorry, I'm a bit disconcerted by this going down, so bear with me. Um, I'm a, as many of you know, I'm a photographer and I have a Facebook page. It's called Chris Dobson Photography. If you want to like it, that's fine. Immediately you can see there, it's going there. You can see what's happening. I've got these pictures that I put up and I keep wanting to go back. How many people have liked it? Which ones do they like? And it makes you kind of feel good and it's addictive. And for those people who are part of the selfie culture, when they're putting up pictures themselves, selfies, and then they're going back and looking for likes, it's all about looking for that approval and that affirmation. And we know the pressures on some young people of that social media has caused them to take their own lives because they feel they can't match up to the expectations and the need to be something else in order for people to approve them. And Jesus was offered a short track to fame. Look, here is the man whom God saved when he jumped and fell off a cliff. The angels lifted him up. What an amazing guy. And yet he recognized that to do that, to go on that shortcut to reputation, would actually be against what his father willed. Because he'd be looking for approval not in himself, but in his instead in, in himself, rather than in his identity as a child of his beloved father. There's a real challenge for us to recognize and to look at our own need for approval and to ask the question, do we seek approval for ourselves in others, in likes or in comforting words, or do we find our identity rooted firmly in Jesus Christ? in being the son of the living father, living God, through what Jesus has done. That's so important. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thanking each other. As clergy and as church people, we want to be showing approval, and all of us are called to show people the love of God, to recognize when people do things good. But the problem comes, not that people approve us, and it's not important, but when we need that approval in order to feel acceptable and loved instead of finding our approval in what Jesus has done. Because human beings will never be able to provide us with the love and approval that we need from God. And so Jesus resisted the temptation for the easy likes. He wouldn't have told you his Facebook address and asked for likes. The third temptation he faces is the temptation for power. The ability to control the world around him and to have complete authority over everything in all creation. Now we know that the Bible tells us that later on, Jesus was to be given all of those things. But before that can happen, he will lose all control of his life 
and be led in chains to a cross. And that temptation to be in control, to grasp for power and and authority can be hugely powerful. We've seen it in dictators, people who cannot let go of that authority. And it's especially true when we feel we don't have much control, perhaps through illness or perhaps through redundancy or because of financial challenges, many of us are going to be facing those. And there's a sense of being out of control and that can challenge us deeply. And we can look for places where we can exercise control. And we know that Jesus too would have been very vulnerable to those temptations because he'd grown up in a very unstable world. He was a child refugee and had lived his childhood in extreme poverty, very uncertain. And the devil's offering him a way out of it without any effort. He's saying you you don't need to have any more anxiety or hunger or fear. You can have all that you ever want. But again, Jesus recognizes the big lie at the heart of it. That lie that happiness and satisfaction come out of being able to have power or control. In other words, that lie that says to you, I am what I do. Instead, he turns away from the desire for personal control and turns towards God in worship. Now, I've picked up there the parallels that uh, in Chris's uh, testimony and in uh, the, the passage that we read. But for all of us, When we face decisions at any level, we know that there can be powerful or or negative emotions and cultural expectations that can drive and shape our responses. And when we're out on our front line, sometimes those things can get in the way of what we're doing. So I remember a, a clergy person that I knew, not an Anglican, not in this diocese, many years ago, who was being incredibly destructive in his parish and in his relationships. What none of us knew at the time was that underlying all of this were deep emotions because he thought he might have cancer and he hadn't told anybody about it. And so his anger and the frustrations and the pain within that were expressing themselves in his workplace and in others. He had failed to take note of the emotional responses and where his dependence lay. And it wasn't until that was brought out and he was able to express it, express the pain and bring it to God that his calmness and peace was restored. So if we are to be effective in our world, we need to be aware of those emotional undercurrents, the things that are brought within us, not to make us feel guilty, but so we can direct them to where they are going to be safely handled and healed. And I think it's an amazing challenge or encouragement to know that whatever is going on in our lives, whatever is happening that makes us feel out of control, because we all have that, whether it be ill health or financial challenges or just getting older, God is still in control. Jesus was presented with that challenge, the temptation to take control there and then. All he had to do was bow down to the devil and he'd get it all. But he recognized the bigger picture, that his trust and reliance had to be in God his Father. And our invitation is to to bring, shine the spotlight if you like, on those emotions, those things that are going on in our lives that sometimes shape us and we're not even aware of 
to ask God to show us where are those areas where we need his healing, where we need to readjust our lives to find that dependence on him, to be focused in him alone. Because unless we take that time, we may run the risk of living our lives on a treadmill of anxiety and stress without ever fully experiencing that fullness of life that Jesus promises and which God desires for us. Now in this coming week and in home groups, why not take some space and time to reflect a little bit in prayer, asking God to show you whether there are any underlying emotional needs or pressures or stresses in your life that you need to address, that actually God wants to set us free from. And ask God to help you see where they are indications of a deeper unease that he wants to address and heal, or where actually it might be a godly uh, calling upon your life to say something needs to change. But the great thing is, as Jesus found, is that God is faithful. Whatever the circumstances of our life and wherever we are, when we focus upon him, when we keep our eyes fixed on him, remember that old song, when the road is rough and steep, fix your eyes upon Jesus, then we can find that place of peace and stillness in ourselves that enables us to live out our lives in confidence and joy and hope in a very uncertain and unstable world. Amen.